Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. I feel like in life, if you do things not out of selfish ambition, eventually it catches up to you and and you do great things, or at least people like you. Yeah. And uh, it's all about relationships. You know, if, if people like you, they pick you up when they go up and you kind of rise up together. And like you said, Bill Dance helped you. Well, Bill was a good guy and that got him favor. And you're a good guy and that got you favor with Bill Dance. So I feel like if, if you do things for others and work hard, it'll eventually catch up. Maybe not overnight, but you know, you meet good people along the way. This is Captain Peter Deeks with the Tom Rowland Podcast. What's going on, everybody? We got a great show for you this week. I have heard so many things about our guest today. Captain Peter Deeks is a fishing guide in South Florida, and he has a very wide operational area. He fishes for all different kinds of fish. He is Bill Dance's go-to guy. I'm going to find out how that happened. Um, they filmed a number of shows together. He also does a lot of work with Salt Strong and gives um, some great information through the Salt Strong platform. He's got a 24 yellowfin that's wrapped with Salt Strong. You may know him on Instagram as Captain Peter Deeks, D-E-E-K-S. And uh, he's just a, a great guy that I wanted to get to know. I've never actually met him. So we're going to get to know one another over this podcast and hopefully that will extend into fishing together and doing some other stuff together in the future because I know with the recommendations that I've had from Peter or from Bill and uh, some other people that I know, um, I think he's an all overall really good dude. So let's find out. Here's Peter Deeks. Peter, what's up? How are you? Hey, good morning, Tom. Doing good. Man, excited not, to be 
Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. I've heard so many nice things about you. Um, and it's this is the first time that we've ever gotten to meet, I think. And uh, it's really good to put 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 it all together because um, the things that I've heard have not only been nice things, but they've also come from people that that I have a good amount of respect for. And um, that would be Joe Simons, of course, and Bill Dance, uh, which sure. I know that you're kind of close with both of those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what about, uh, what, what, tell me about what your, your kind of mode of operation is. Where do you live? How, what's your area of, of fishing? Okay, sure. Um, so I live in Merritt Island, which is kind of the east central part of Florida. Um, I'm a fishing guide. I also own a hunting outfitter where we do like alligator hunts and kind of the best of what Florida has to offer. Um, so that keeps me really busy, but I also get the opportunity to do some fishing shows with like Bill Dance. And I also teach, um, fishing courses and educational videos for salt strong. Yeah. So I kind of live the, the whole fishing life and, um, it's kind of what I've always known. And, um, and I love it. Yeah. So out of Merritt Island, uh, are you going both North and South out of there? And I mean, you seem to have one of the things that I learned about you when I was kind of asking around, uh, in preparation for this is that, that you're known as a really versatile guide. And you also are known as somebody that has a pretty wide, um, area of operation. Um, so how do you, how do you work that North and South kind of? I do. So it's kind of an interesting story, but, um, just to kind of fast forward through the beginning of it. So about maybe seven years ago, I was guiding and I was trying to find my own, trying to find my niche. A lot of things that happened in the economy, a lot of the fishing tournaments that I really kind of depended on went away. And so I went full bore into guiding. And honestly, I was a little bit like lost because I didn't want to ever be a fishing guide that just focuses on like one thing in one marina, right? Because like if the fish then it's slow um so i was like well what if i really prayed on it and i was like what if i just went all in like it didn't matter how much money i spent it didn't matter how many motors i went through i put a lot of mileage on my cars but i I would just follow the fish and um and that year the first year was really special i caught so many incredible fish i did some incredible shows with bill dance we caught like they could call like 11 and a half pound trout on one show and a couple 40 inch snook on another. And it was just like really eye opening that if you go all in, like the rewards are pretty incredible. So that I've kind of applied that to my guiding now. So like every day is like a tournament. So for instance, if a, if a client calls and they're like, I kind of let them pick the species we want to target, but I'll travel as far South as Palm beach and I'll travel as far North as like, let's say Daytona. Hmm. So I put about, about 80,000 miles in my truck every year trailing my boats. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's pretty good. 80,000 miles. That taught a, you do have a wide, wide area of operation. Um, when you say, you, you said that you kind of had some tournaments that you were depending on. What kind of tournaments were those? Um, so that's what I loved doing when I was young. So when I was like, I, so I grew up on the Indian River. I had the best parents and, and I, I was homeschooled and I really focused on fishing all the time. I had a little John boat fished all over. And when I was about, I guess, 10 to 15, that was like the peak of the the tournament trails, redfish, tarpon. Um, There was a lot of excitement in my area. Mosquito Lagoon was really popping. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember following you. I remember seeing 
you guys doing really well in these tournaments, the Redfish tournaments, the FLW, and then we had like the IFA and mm-hmm. um, smaller ones pre that. And so it was really cool. I taught my dad and some other friends because I was too young to fish them alone, to fishing these and to be able to compete with guys like you that was that were like just ahead of me that were just killing it. And to me, fishing was life. And it was, and to, and to, to be a part of those tournaments was really special. So about when, when I graduated college is when I decided to go full-time into fishing tournaments. That's right when all the tournaments went away, when the economy kind of like yeah. made a lot of sponsors pull out. And so that's when I turned to guiding. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting because those tournaments, they do a lot for you as far as kind of, it's it's kind of making a lot more sense like how you have such a wide area of operation because if you're if you're a tournament fisherman especially in those redfish tournaments you're moving around and exploring new water and learning it very very quickly and being able to be successful in that water and it was always interesting to me how you could have um those redfish tournaments and you would move into someone else's home water and you would see these guys from Louisiana or a lot of Florida guys could dissect that water and um, just do better than even the local guys. It was amazing. And I mm-hmm. couldn't, I, I just really couldn't understand how they were doing it. You take a guy like Andrew Bostic and he would barely go, um, you know, a few miles from the ramp. Me and Rich were always like, man, we got to go to someplace we know. So we would go, you know, we, no boat ride was, was out of range. Like we would just fill up with gas and go to the closest place that we kind of felt comfortable with. But other people had different strategies of just like, man, the fish are here and we're just going to apply the techniques that we know and, and see if we can figure them out. Um, that's, that makes a lot more sense how you can, how you can move through that big area because in that big area, you're only able to fish it I mean, it's not like you're there every single day. So you're kind of showing up and kind of being pretty dialed in without having been there for maybe a week, right? Yeah. And it's very similar year after year. Within a week, the same thing will happen, I've noticed. So kind of in Florida, and I'm sure you've seen like it'll slide a little earlier, a little late. But, you know, within a week or two, it'll line up the same as that day the year before. Mm -hmm. and. You know, after a while, it's just, it kind of coasts, but it's exciting. I mean, you you have your failure days, but at the same time, like every day is exciting for me because, you know, you're always fishing that next level fish, you know? Right. So when you decided to kind of start the guiding because the tournaments weren't, weren't happening and you decided to go all in, you mentioned that a couple of times, like, what if mm-hmm. I just went all in? Like, what mm-hmm. was the other alternative? Just kind of hanging out at a marina, having your boat in the water and just sticking staying in a small area and being kind of like the, the local guide versus putting it on. Yeah. Yeah. So leaving out of the same boat ramp or the same Marina every day and, you know, eight months out of the year, if you're a really good fisherman, you can catch really good fish no matter where you live, but you're going to have four months out of the year where it's really slow. And, um, I mean, it's hard to wake up in the morning being a fishing guide, knowing it's slow and charging those people money. Plus it gets old. It's boring. Um, I probably wouldn't be a fishing guide if I hadn't done it here. I would do something else. Yeah. What do you think you'd be doing? Um, I don't know. I actually went to school. I was pre-med in college and, um, I decided my senior year, instead of going to medical school, um, I was 
doing really well in the fishing tournaments my own mind and and i was sponsored by a couple boat companies and or one boat company that had a couple other models inside that boat and uh it was exciting and i was like i'm gonna do this instead of uh, medical school so i probably would have went back to something like that yeah medical school that's a similar story to to bill dance like he was one of my first guests on the podcast i just really wanted i mean he was like top of the list but that's what he mm-hmm. thought he was going to do be a doctor like that was in his that was in his uh in his family history like his his he was kind of destined to be a doctor and then instead he becomes a becomes a fisherman um pretty <laughs> kind of just just another fisherman um but bill bill's a bill's a good guy what was your how did you get hooked up with him um so yeah i feel like all things are kind of planned out ahead of you like it's kind of destined so with bill dance i was just guiding and a friend of mine knew him really well mike tipton and mike kept asking me to go fishing with bill he's like he's in town why don't you go and and you know as well as i do like when you're a guide for a fishing show a lot of times if you have a bad host it makes you look bad and it's very frustrating and you're kind of sacrificing a lot of time so i've been burnt on a few shows and i didn't really want to do it with bill i didn't know him and i finally said yes and we did one show up in titusville and like right away you could just tell he was super genuine like just a genuine man he was so kind and uh and we did well that day. And he's like, what if I stayed another day? Can we do another show tomorrow? And I said, sure. And then he stayed a third day. We did a third show. And since then, we've become super close friends. He's one of my best friends and uh, been very fortunate and thankful for that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's like that. I mean, you could, you could probably go around the industry um, and ask a whole bunch of people what they thought about Bill Dance and you would get many similar um, stories to yours. I mean, he's just a... I mean, he's, he's been a mentor to me. Um, he has helped me when others wouldn't. And, uh, he's just always been super genuine and super nice. And, um, I don't know, he's, he's like a good role model for, for everyone to follow, not just in his successes that he's had, but just the way that he handles himself. He's a, he's a good dude. Um, so do you, uh, do you fish, um, with him every year, like you've kind of gone, you've gotten to be kind of his go-to saltwater guy. Um, yeah. So like this last year we filmed, I think we filmed like seven shows. So we'll end up doing every year, probably like four to four to eight shows. And so uh, it's become a, an annual event and, uh, you know, sometimes he'll stay here for like a month and we'll do a whole lot of shows, um, and get to fish together. And we just, I'm just, I am so genuinely thankful for his friendship and everything that he's done for me. But like the one thing that he's done for a lot of people is he connects you with other people. Mm. And so he introduced me to Bob Bagby, who we both know pretty well. And, uh, and so Bill was like, I've got a really important friend that I want to do a show with and he's a sponsor and we have to do really well. He put a lot of pressure on it. And I was like, okay. And so he, but he's talking it up. Like it's like, it's the, it's a big deal. And I, I guess it was for him. And so we did a snook show. And so here comes Bob, here's Bob Bagby. And honestly, like my first impression of him, not throwing him under the bus, but he was like, he stepped on the boat. Like he was King. And he was like, he's like, Hey guy, boy, like, you know, go get me a drink, go put another bait on my hook. And he was like bossing around. I was like, I kept looking at him like, who is this guy? And, but by the end of the day, 
he was like the greatest guy ever. And, um, and we, we fished another show the next day, which is probably the best show that I've ever done. We caught at the first stop, we caught like four snook over 45 inches. And since then, Bob has become a super close friend and he's such a genuinely kind person. He's so nice. And he's introduced me to, uh, captains like RT Trossett down in the keys. And, uh, so I'm good friends with him. He's taught me a lot and Carter Andrews and, um, you know, just that network of like the elite, like the elite in the fishing industry, they're, they're genuinely incredibly good people. There's a lot of like that beneath them, but the cream rises to the top. So you've got like yourself and then you've got RT Trust and these legendary captains and they're all just, they're such good people. And they've helped me with, with so many things and, uh, I'm thankful, but it really kind of started with, um, with Bill Dance. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I mean, I have my I have my theories about um, why people the the people that you mentioned what makes them kind of or, or or allows success because you're a good person or because I don't know. Do you have any theories on on why that that elite group of people kind of rises to the top like that, and then they all happen to be pretty nice guys? I feel like in life, if you do things not out of selfish ambition eventually it catches up to you and and you do great things or at least people like you yeah and uh, it's all about relationships you know if if people like you they pick you up when they go up and you kind of rise up together and like you said bill dance helped you well bill was a good guy and that got him favor and you're a good guy and that got you favor with bill dance so i feel like if if you do things for others and work hard it'll eventually catch up maybe not overnight but you know, you meet good people along the way. Yeah, for sure. I was kind of thinking that you take somebody like, like Trossett or, um, so many of the others and their guides, like their business for so many years was just taking people fishing. You're on a, you know, 16 to 30 foot boat and it's you and someone else. And not only do you have to catch fish, but you also have to keep people entertained and, and, uh, you know, if you're not real genuine about what you're doing, it's going to come out before the eight hour mark. <laughs> like, you, you know, you're, you're only going to be able to fake that for so long. And then if you're really into it, then I don't know, it, it becomes a very genuine kind of, kind of thing. But I always kind of think it's funny when people are, um, like starstruck by some of these people that, that I know as fishing guides. And I'm like, dude, the guy is a fishing guide. His, his, his business was to meet people on the dock and shake hands with them and talk to, talk to a complete stranger. Like that is how he got business for a long time. He could, he could talk to anyone. He's going to be, he's going to be the nicest guy you've ever met. Like that's just the way that's a, the MO. You know what I mean? Like when you're, when you're guiding, you just become like this entertainer as much as you become an educator and a therapist and all of these other things that go along with, with being a professional fishing guide. Um, but that's, that's cool. Um, yeah. those guys, uh, Bagby, I had him on the show recently and, and we were talking about just kind of sponsorship and how it goes. And he was definitely one of my first and earliest, um, sponsors with quantum. And I, I got hooked up with him through Shaw Grigsby, who is another phenomenal guy that is, uh, just this, the nicest guy ever. 
and uh, and he hooked me up with Bob. And um, I just remember the first phone call with Bob, and I was just like, "Wow, this is so weird." And I had this picture in my head of what Bob might look like, and then I met him, and he was entirely different than I thought he was going to look like. I don't I don't know. I just had many many conversations with him on the phone, and then he came to fish with me, and I was like wait, who are you? <laughs> like, like you're, you're kind of tall and skinny and I thought you were going to be kind of short and pudgy. And I don't know why I had this image of him <laughs> in my mind, but it just was, was a different image. And, uh, but, but he's, he has always been such a, such a great guy. And as with all the people that he worked with over there, John Kushnarek, did you ever work with him? He was, he was a great guy too, but, uh, um, yeah, good times. Good times. So <clears throat> with uh, when when you started the tournaments and then you move into the guiding, what do mm-hmm. you kind of, is there something that you kind of attribute the success that you've had to? Like, do you like keep real good records or do you do something that other people are not doing? Um, I think I try to, to plan everything out in advance. So like if I'm going to do a charter in a week, I'm already thinking about it now. Um, so you can have the right date or lures. Um, we're going to go to the right spot. Um, the rods and reels are going to be rigged up, ready to go. You're going to have the right um, boat. Um, I think that the biggest failure in my own life is if I don't have enough preparation um, and you show up and you don't have the right bait or you have the wrong boat and you can't make that run. So um, I, th- I think honestly, like, just going the extra mile and, and having extra preparation is, is really all it takes for me to, to have a fairly successful charter business and to make it more fun on the water. Because for instance, like if you're permit fishing or, or you're not, let's just say you're, you, you might see permit, you're running out to a wreck, you're going to be cobia fishing, but in the back of your mind, you're like, well, maybe and you get out there and there's a huge full permit lead on a crabs. Right. And then, and you're just like, if I only had some crabs, we would have crushed it. So it's, it's listening to that voice and going the extra mile and making sure you have the right bait. And it, it usually pays off. And I noticed there's a lot of fishing guides and recreational anglers alike, but they don't do that. They just kind of go the easy route and it ends up biting them. Mm. Yeah. And when you say it ends up biting them, like just because they show up with it, you know, kind of somewhat unprepared or in the long run, it ends up biting them. It both. So, you know, most of my clients, not necessarily word of mouth, it's just the same people that fish with me every year. Um, and some people book, I mean, I had one couple, they would book a month every year. Um, and that's because you're consistently successful at giving them a good time. Mm-hmm. And people pick up on, on preparation and they pick up on whether you care or not. So, you know, by making sure you have the right bait and that you're always on the fish and you're going the extra mile, people realize that. So the people that don't, you're going to lose that customer and you're going to get a bad reputation and you know, it's going to bite you in the long run and it's going to bite you in the short term because you may not get a big tip that day. What do you think about um, like when you're moving so much and you're going to drive an hour and a half and then maybe you're going to, maybe you're going to get in your boat and you're going to run you know, a pretty good run even outside of that. So there's, there's thoughts about, um, fuel, there's thoughts about expenses. There's thoughts about maybe I could probably make more money if I just stayed at home and, and, you know, didn't run very far. I know that that's something that, that is, is definitely a consideration for a guy that, you know, is a kind of business 
thinking person. Like I'm going to try to run as little as possible. I'm going to try to catch as the best fish I can in this small area versus what you're doing. How do you, how do you kind of weigh that out in your mind? The first couple of years that I really did that was scary because I did kind of go upside down. I knew, (laughs) you know, like you want to sell your motors every year at the lowest amount of hours you want. You don't want to put a hundred thousand miles in your truck. You don't want to spend X amount of dollars in bait. So yeah, it was a little bit scary, but it was pretty much, pretty much my only option. And, um, but, but since then what has happened just in my own personal life, and I think it'll happen with others is like, once you gain success, then, then there's help along the way. So like without my sponsors and friends, um, you know, now I don't have to pay for my own equipment. Now I don't have to pay for motors and things like that. So I'm able to go the extra mile without having that in the back of my mind. Um, but it is scary at first because you don't make much money if you have to pay for everything. Right. Yeah. That's something for, for young guides to consider. And I remember being in that situation and just kind of having the same kind of feeling that you did, like, you know what? this is my responsibility to put my clients on the fish. And if they're 40 miles away, then that's where I have to go. Or I have to get better at this area right around the boat ramp. Like if I want to, if I want to save money and uh, be very efficient, then I need to place my focus on that area and learn how to catch the best fish right there. So that when I think about all these different places I could go, that's where I want to be like right Right. there. And there is that, I mean, you can do that. And that would be kind of the advice that, that I would give to, to a young guide that was really worrying about how much, how much they're spending would be something like that. Like, you know, you may, it may be easier to catch them for you at this stage of your career way away with a long run, but that doesn't mean that they're not right next to the boat ramp, good fish. And, and you might be getting like other guides that are taking a two hour boat ride to the boat ramp and fishing right there where you're putting in. And it seems like a long way for them, but it's right in front. I saw that just like we were talking about with people like Andrew Bostic in those tournaments is they would never go. He would never go very far. And his, his feeling was like all, all the time that I'm running, I'm not fishing. And if I just fish, I'm going to run into a good fish. And that's, and, and only, you only need two in the tournament. That's a little different Mm -hmm. than a guide, than a guide day. Um, that's, that's an interesting kind of thing with, with, with your tournament experience and your guiding experience. And you're, you're obviously uh, a great entertainer and you can show a lot of people a, a really good time because they, they keep coming back and booking months at a time. That's a real, um, uh, sign of, of somebody that's doing really well. How do you see a tournament day being different than a, than a guide day? What is success in a tournament versus success as a guide? It's an interesting perspective that I actually think about often. Um, so I treat, I try to treat every charter like a tournament. Like it's like, I have something personal to gain. It's not just taking someone out for four or five hours. Um, but the difference is you have to make, as a guide, your customers have a really great time no matter what. So you have to prioritize and you have to identify each client and each angler on what they want. So maybe you want to go catch giant tarpon, but your client probably would be better off catching snook. Like you have to pick up on that and 
and really cater to them. So you're trying to get them to catch what they want to catch, not making them live the day that you want to give them. Yeah. But applying techniques, like you said, like going back to like, you know, fishing small is so important. So whether you make that long run or that long trek to a spot or staying close to home, like you have to be really good at fishing every bit of water. And if you go and fish really fast through an area, you're going to miss out great opportunities no matter where you are. So distance isn't as important as really knowing the water you're fishing, the tides, how the fish come and go. Because if there's 10 redfish on a little sandbar close to the boat ramp and you catch all 10, that's an incredible day. Whereas if you run somewhere far and you burn up a lot of time and there's a hundred redfish and you only catch three, who had the better day? The guy that caught the 10 fish that were right there by the boat ramp. So that was a really cool perspective that you had. It is important to fish small and really get good where you're fishing. Mm -hmm. And then, then as far as the customers go, like that was one of the things, like, I'd like to ask you about that. Like follow up on that is, is how do you know, um, what is the best thing for the customer? Like you said, somebody might be better off catching snook versus the big tarpon. And that may be what you want to do, but really they're going to be better off doing something else. How do you, how do you know that? Um, you know, you just, you want to ask them a lot of questions, um, you know, when you're booking, um, where you're, you know, just keep asking the questions, they'll eventually tell you. And then also you'll, you'll realize pretty quick their skill level. So as a guide, in my opinion, as a guide, you want to give, you want to, to have the anglers catch the fish in their own way and their own skill level and their own minds. And what makes you a good guide is by creating a scenario that allows that to happen. So like, yeah, sure. You might be able to make a really long cast and catch that tarpon coming up, but your client can't. So you creating the environment that gives them success is super important. So if you get on the boat and they pick up the reel and they turn it upside down, they're probably not going to make a 150 foot cast to a tail and bonefish. Right. Mm -hmm. So maybe you should start toning it down. Like guys, like let's go red fishing and put a piece of cut bait on there. And then, you know, you know, you're giving them success. And another thing too, that would be like advice if there's any young guides out there is allowing your clients to feel like they're doing it, even though, you know, you did it, let them have the experience because that's why they're on the boat. If you cast the bait out, you hook the fish and you hand them the rod and they just reel it in. They had a great time but you're missing out on that element of excitement. And I learned that because like I had a great dad and he chartered a lot of boats all around the world. Like we went on family vacations in different places. He would always charter boats. So I got to fish with some of the greatest fishing captains all over the place, offshore, inshore, freshwater. And I got to see what a bad captain was and a good captain was. And some of the most reputable captains we fished with were jerks. And I'm not going to mention names because like everyone would recognize them. But they would like, I remember like sitting on a school of dolphin, we caught like 70 giant dolphin and I'm like 12 years old. And all I wanted to do was cast out and hook a dolphin and land it. Who cares if we lost it? Right. And they wouldn't. And that stuck with me. So now like, I really try to like employ that, like letting my clients get the full experience and who cares if they mess it up, but just don't put them in a frustrating situation where they're going to fail time and time and time again. Like you've got to figure out what they're capable of doing and then allowing yeah. And, and a good guide can do that lightning fast and somebody else might take 
three quarters of the day, get frustrated and say, man, we should have just gone to catch snappers because you guys are terrible. Um, but <laughs> I, I'm with you, man. That I always thought like I was, I had a couple of things that happened in my guide career that, that, um, it kind of showed me the importance of, of communication. And I tell this one story, I've told it a couple of times on the podcast, but this guy came to, to fish and he said he wanted to go bone fishing. So we go bone fishing and <laughs> all morning we had a great morning. He, he, I had tailing fish. He cast to about eight or nine tailing fish. It was great. The tide runs out. We're done. We're done with that, you know? And, and, uh, so we're kind of floating along and we're getting ready to eat a sandwich and, uh, and he looks down and there's just snappers all under the boat. He's like, Oh wow. What can I catch those? And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, you, you, sure. Like here, what, just drop your fly in there. They'll, they'll eat it. And, uh, and he catches a couple and he's so happy. He's so happy. He's like literally just exploding with emotion. He's so happy. He's catching a fish every time he puts it in there. And I was like, well, you know, if that's what you want to do, we can, we can do that for the rest of the day. And he goes, well, yeah, I mean, this is what I wanted to do. And I said, well, you really said you wanted to go bone fishing. And he said, this isn't bone fishing. And I said, no, like this is snapper fishing. And he goes, well, what's bone fishing? And I said, well, that's what we were doing before where we were actually after the bone fish. And he didn't even realize that that was like a species. I mean, and I had missed the, this, all these cues in booking the trip. And he just thought bone fishing was going out in a skiff and, you know, a bonefish boat and you're going bone fishing and you try mm -hmm. to catch whatever. And mm -hmm. that day was really important to me because I, I kind of looked back at it and I was like, man, I just misread the communication there. And I could have gone out and I could have caught this guy a hundred jacks. And it would have been right. the best day ever. And instead, we're out there chasing around bonefish. And that's what I thought he wanted to do. And mm -hmm. even, and, and, and I, I thought that I had done a pretty good job of communicating, but I needed to do more communicating to understand that, no, he's really not after bonefish. He's after this experience of fishing in a skiff and he doesn't care what he catches. And then I right. started to get better at communicating and better at asking questions up front, like you're talking about. And man, that paid huge dividends because you would take somebody out there and you would be doing exactly what they wanted to do. Not what you wanted to do, but what they wanted to do. And then as a guide, if what you really wanted to do was, God, we just got to be fly fishing for tarpon. Well, then it's your job to get this guy so excited about fishing with you that he absolutely returns every year. Give him some casting lessons every year and work him up to the point to where he can do the kind of fishing that you want to do. And that takes a lot of patience, but the good, mm -hmm. the good guides, I think are willing to put that kind of patience in. It sounds like, sounds like your communication skills are really good. Did somebody help you with that? Or did you kind of figure all that out on your own or what? Um, I think trial and error. Yeah. I've been doing it kind of a long time and you know, the first five years or so are a little bit rough, you know, yeah. <laughs> like you said, you go out there and you, you pull off your bonefish all day or whatever you're targeting and doesn't work out. And he's, you know, client's not happy. You're not happy. And, but you learn after a while, as long as it's what you love to do, this is what I love to do. And so, you know, it's not, I need to make money, but it's not, I'm not doing it for money. And I think that that's the difference. This would be guiding would be the most stressful, frustrating and horrible job in the whole world. <laughs> I couldn't think of anything worse 
if you were doing it strictly for money, because you'd be factoring everything in. Like, I don't want to make that long run. I don't want to buy that extra bait. I, I don't want to get up at three o'clock in the morning. It's too cold. You know, like if it's not fun, it's rough. And I like going back to what you said earlier. Um, you can't hide that for very long. Right. Yeah. No, you're not hiding that for, for more than 20 minutes, probably. Uh, mm-hmm. As soon as somebody says, oh, I want to fly fish for bonefish. And the guy goes, oh, God. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, you haven't hit it very, very much. You know, it's, it's, uh, it comes right out. But the people that love it, they, you know, they, they do, they do a lot of extra things like, um, you know, figuring out where, you know, not just where the fish are and where they can catch some fish, but, but things, you know, along the lines of, of extra study that other people aren't willing or able to do. And, and, um, do you, do you do any of that kind of stuff like off when you're not chartering or, or thinking differently about, about your fishery and then doing some extra things, extra study kind of stuff? Yeah, I would say in the fishing world, every great breakthrough that I've ever had has come from like extra study. So it's not just doing what the next guy does and trying to do it a little bit better, which is like my biggest pet peeve. When people watch what others do, copy it and try to do it just a little bit better, like beat you to the spot because someone initially discovered that with, with extra study. So like whether it's targeting giant sea trout, um, there's some other really neat stuff with now with like your electronics and doing things that no one's ever done before. Like you can't do that on your charters. You have to figure that out on your own. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do spend a lot of time with friends out there trying to think outside the box. And that's like, it's kind of like being a pirate, being a fishing guide. If you're thinking outside the box like that, because like you're hunting for that treasure, like if I could only, right. Like if I could only catch tarpon year round, if I could only get black drum fishing so easy that like, everyone can do it on fly, whether it's at night, like doing, you know, totally bizarre things. Most of the time it, it fails, but <laughs> sometimes it's gone. And the, and the great guides, like the RT Trossets and the people that have done like wild things, like no one did it before them. Right. They were, they were trailblazers. They were thinking ahead. They were out there. I, I talked to RT quite a bit and like, he's still to this day, like he's like, don't tell anyone. He's like, I've been going out and doing this, this, and this hasn't worked we're like this close to getting it to work and he's been guiding a long time. Yeah. And that's, that's the key to success right there is like figuring out stuff that nobody else has figured out, like chasing the impossible and then bringing your clients out to do it. Yeah. Pretty cool. What kind of things have you done that are, I mean, somebody told me that you did a bunch of underwater study. Um, yeah. So like, I feel like if, if it's applicable, or if, if you're able to do it, if the water's clear enough, like watching the fish in the water will teach you so much about how to fish. Like how do fish respond? If you, if you've never watched them in their own behavior and their own habitat, how do you know what they're going to do? How do you know that, how do they respond to bait and leader and movement? And um, I think a lot of great spear fishermen and free divers and commercial fishermen become good guides because they know what those fish are doing down there. And like, for instance, um, like I've spent a lot of time underwater and recently the last few years, we spent a lot of time filming underwater and like, for instance, as like an example, a school of snook, whether it's like four or 500 snook, feel your line. 
whether it's fluorocarbon and one pound test or whether it's 400 pounds steel cable, they actually feel it. And if your line, so let's just say there's a school sitting here, right? And you're in your baits here and you're fishing up here and your line drifts through the school, that school parts away from your line, like the red sea parting mm -hmm. and they won't come back to it. Huh. And like, how would you know that if you weren't swimming and watching that? So you always fish the leading edge of the school and drift your bait into them because I get it's their lateral line feels your line and they don't know what that is. And so it's just cool stuff like that. So if you can spend a lot of time in the water snorkeling and watching like yellowtail fishing down in the keys, I love like my special place from being a kid was Isla Mirada, Florida. I and stuff down there and I love it. And it's a special place they go down there to vacation and yellowtail snapper fishing is so cool. But you look back behind the boat in the chum, you see all the fish and you see the, the Bermuda chubs and you see everything going on in the yellowtail snapper. And then you're not getting bites. And it's like, you remember back like, well, I watched the, you know, a video or someone told me to use lighter leader and yeah, that works, but you don't really realize that until you get in the water and you watch and you see all these fish swimming around and they're eating all the chum and you see the bits and pieces of bait that they're eating. And here comes your bait on the line. And then they swim up to it and they don't eat it. And you instantly realize why it's because you're not letting it drift as fast as the current or your hooks too heavy and it's sinking. And so like seeing that helps you fish so much better. Yeah, for sure. What about other things like in the water, of course, um, but you mentioned your electronics, like what do you see as the, as the uh, uh, frontier of, of electronics these days? So the bass guys are light years ahead of saltwater anglers when it comes light to light years. You're right about that. Those guys are so good with what they do. And it's like now with the electronics, it's like removing the water. You can see the fish. And so you've got the side scan. Some of the companies are coming out now where you have like the, the live imaging and the fish mm -hmm. coming out yeah. and like it, you have to be skilled enough to read that and to pick up on what's going on. But once you do, I mean, the fish really can't hide from you anymore. And so it's a game changer for sure, because shallow flats fishing has been so popular for so long. It's cool. It's sight fishing. I love it. It's my favorite thing to do because you can see them with your eyes, but it's popular because you can see them with your eyes and know they're there. But most of the fish live where you can't see them. Mm -hmm. So now that we can see them and where they're at, I mean... It, it just opens up a lot of doors, but you know, we still have a lot to learn from the bass guys, <clears throat> excuse me. And I'm teaching myself as much as I can, but you know, there's schools of fish hiding out there in the river that we didn't know about a couple of years ago. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Uh, I just thought about this as an interesting question for you. The fact that you can see the fish or see that the fish are not there, which is the better time saver? Um, say that again, I'm so, sorry. So with this, the imaging where you can actually look at something and you can, mm -hmm. you can say, I know with a hundred percent certainty, either there are fish there and maybe I didn't know about those fish and this mm -hmm. is really cool or yep. this spot looks really good. And I know for a hundred percent certainty that there are no fish there. Like huge unsaver that just happened to me the other day. Actually, we were fishing a huge school of snook hundreds and hundreds of big snook and for every day for like two weeks just crush them crush them crush them and we pulled up to the spot and i went by and i just looked at my fish finder i shouldn't have even looked at it like what nothing's changed the wind's the same the current's the same <laughs> and I look and they're gone they're gone and i went all around couldn't find them i don't know where they went 
like hours there thinking they had lockjaw. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's kind of when I, I mean, it's almost like, I don't know. I tell my son, my son's going through this whole thing right now where he's trying to figure out what he wants to do in his, with his life. And I'm like, well, if you don't know what you want to do with your life, you, you got to um, try more things, you know, because mm-hmm. figuring out that this is something that you thought you wanted to do and spending some time on it and realizing that it's not something that you want to do. That's not a failure. That's like, you just, now you know that that's not something you want to do and you didn't waste any time there. That's very similar to these fishing situations of, you know, you go someplace, it's a situation with a ledge and, and a channel running through there and everything looks great. And you spend two hours there. They've got to be here. They've got to be mm-hmm. here. But now with the electronics, you look over there and they're not there. And it looks good. And if you were a fish, you'd be there, but you're mm-hmm. not a fish and there's something that they know that you don't, and you could have spent half the day there and you could have gone right. back six, seven, you could have gone back on every, they've got to be here. So I'm going back on the next tide. I'm going back on, on, it, it was the outgoing tide. Now I'm coming back on the incoming tide. It's gotta mm-hmm. be something. I'm going to go back on a cloudy day, a rainy day. I don't know. They're going to be there, but they're not. There's plenty of spots like that, you know, where it just looks so good and it's just never happened for for me you know and i'm sure you got spots like that too where it's just like sure. i don't know but i look at the electronics and i'm kind of thinking yeah it's it's great when you can just see the fish but it's also great when you can see that they're not there and and just move on you know and you don't second guess mm-hmm. it for months <laughs> right yeah it's it's awesome i i don't know why we're so far behind in the saltwater world compared to the freshwater guys but well i, I think my- that there's some fishing that 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 those type of electronics, um, you know, like what, what the bass guys are using now where you have the forward scan on the trolling motor and, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, a lot of times they're fishing in deeper water than we are. And so the cone is much larger and you have an opportunity to see more of what's going on in deeper water. Um, Mm -hmm. whereas if you're fishing in, in three feet of water and the trolling motor is almost touching the grass, it's not really, there's, it's not really applicable. Um, but, now, um, you know, the fish, to your point, the fish aren't always up on, you know, that mo- more fish are off of the flat somewhere else mm-hmm. that we haven't been looking. And, and that's where the electronics really, you know, uh, can, can really make a big difference is trying to, trying to figure that out. Like, okay, I've been fishing up there for 20 years. Eh, now I'm going to try fishing out here where I have no confidence, but this thing is a confidence builder. I can look sure. there and see if they're fish. That's so much. What do you think about the, 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 uh, the role of, of confidence, like in your own fishing? I mean, of course it, of course it means, you know, it's really important, but, but like to have the confidence to stick with something when it's, when it's not working, like, how does that play into, into what you do? Um, uh, confidence is everything. If you don't have confidence, you shouldn't be doing it. Um, and just, Cause there's a difference between knowing that like the tarpon aren't going to be biting that well today. And we just have to wait an hour for a bite and be, that's still confidence. Like I know in an hour in my heart that we're going to get a bite. Um, but you know, if you don't have confidence, you need to build confidence and find confidence and, you know, going back to your electronics or maybe spending more time in the water, just moving around. Like the cool thing about at least in kind of Southeast United States and saltwater, if you move around a lot, enough during the day you're gonna find something cool and so like growing up we spent a lot of time like anchored hoping um (laughs) letting fish come to us and you know 
I'm learning now that like, you should just, if you've got nothing and you've got no confidence, just go around with your trolling motor and look, or go around with your big motor and look, I mean, who knows what you're going to find, but you're going to find something. Yeah, for sure. That's what Steve Huff always said is if you pull far enough, the fish will find you. Um, you know, you, you may not know what you're doing, man. And that is a great, um, that's a great piece of advice to somebody that's just getting started is like, man, just, just move, just burn up that trolling motor and, and, or, or push the, you know, the push pole, just pull all day. That's what I used to do. And sure enough, you know, you pull through the tide change and you pull, you know, now you're now you're not even paying attention to the tide. You just pull and then you're like, Oh, this must be a good spot. Well, it wasn't the spot. It was the tide. And it might take right. you a little while to figure that out, but it was the moving that allowed you to find the fish. And I can, mm-hmm. I don't have much of a, of an attention span to, to sit and, and wait, um, for very long, unless I, unless I have the confidence, like chumming for bonefish right. or something like that. And, and, but it, even then it's not my favorite. It's not my favorite. So what do you think your favorite uh, species is? Um, people ask that a lot. I think it's like the most often, it's like probably the most frequently asked question on the boat for my clients. And I would say I like to be seasonal. Like there's not something that I really love to fish for, but I love fishing for trout in the spring. I love fishing for snook in the summer. I love redfish in the fall. And then in the winter time, um, it's just a great time to catch a whole lot of fish, but like right now I cannot wait to catch big trout. Like I'm already like looking at different boats and like, what do I need to get back to where these big fish are? I think they're going to be extra shallow this year. And so that's getting me super pumped up. I don't have a, like, like this one fish and that's my favorite fish. I love catching tarpon because for instance, I love catching these trout, but man, by April, I'm going to be so burnt out on trout and never want to see another trout. And then now it's like, oh boy, it's snook time. Um, but personally, I think, I don't know, maybe everybody's different, but I really like and have a lot of drive to be really good at fishing in like my home region. Um, I don't have these big um, drives to go around the world to catch these bizarre fish, maybe because I did quite a bit of it when I was young. Um, but I had a friend the other day, he invited me. He's like, pick any place you want to go and everything's paid for. We'll go fish there. And I was thinking about, it, I'm like, there's kind of nothing that would take me from here. Like, yeah. how about a really nice resort and we go fish for what I want to fish for right here. So I don't know. I think fishing, the, the motivation for me to fish is just figuring out the fish, not necessarily the actual fish to catch. Yeah. What about the big trout though? What, do, what, do you, what is it that is so intriguing about the big trout for you? Um, well, the, the, the coolest thing is I happen to live in an area that has arguably the biggest trout in the whole world. And so like, Hey, we already got that going for us. And then I have figured out a handful of things that allows me to catch the impossible, let's say. And that's been really cool. So for me personally, like every inch is a mile. So like when I first started guiding, if I could catch a five pounder, that was really good. And then now it's like, I'm trying to catch a 10 pounder for my clients if I can. Um, but I can pretty much guarantee like a seven. And at one point in my life, that would have been impossible, but now it's possible. And so that's a cool thing for the trout because the rest of the world kind of has their eye here in a couple other regions. If you want a big trout, this is where you come. Mm-hmm. And so that's, what's exciting. Like if I were to catch like a, let's just say a 15 pound trout tomorrow, 
I would be pretty excited, but I'm mostly excited that it, everybody else is excited for me. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it totally makes sense because, you know, Key West was the permit capital and that's what I chose to, I was like, well, if this is where everybody's coming for permit, then that's probably what I should spend a lot of time fishing for when I was a young, young, starting a young guy starting out is like, why? I mean, that seems like the most logical thing. If they're hard to catch, actually it kind of took a little pressure off. Cause I was like, well, if they're hard to catch, then you don't catch that many. So if, if I don't catch any, then it kind of takes the pressure off where if yeah. people are going out and catching tons of these other fish, um, man, it's going to look terrible if I come back catching none day after day after day. But if you go out and catch no permit, nobody even, it didn't even, doesn't even raise an eyebrow. Like it didn't back then. Um, but yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Like that, that you, that's the kingfish in your, in your area, but the trout is, is not the kingfish in the keys. And, and I do fish for them and enjoy them, but I don't think I've ever fished for them like you do. Like the really giant ones that are really difficult to catch. I mean, that's just not the way we fish for them. Um, you know, it's more like popping corks, mullet muds, kind of, you know, these, these different areas kind of drifting over these areas and you're, you, you might as well be catching, um, jacks or, or anything else. And I would like to, I would like to go and really hunt a, a big one because I know that like when you hear somebody like CA Richardson or yourself or like Rob Chapman was just talking about it, the trout has a, uh, an allure to it, like a permit or a bonefish or a giant tarpon or something that people are really, really into. And, uh, mm. I don't, I just don't think I've, I've had that experience to, to, see that fish in that kind of a, a situation. It's different for sure. And I'd love to have you if you're, you know, if you ever find the time and, and we go together, yeah. but it's, it's, it's a different deal. It's like becomes a whole nother species fishing differently. And it's, it is interesting. You fly fish for them. Those big ones like that. I do usually for fly fishing, we'll do it in like the dead of the winter or like I've got some other little things like I'll go out at night. Um, and you know, those little secrets that you figure out that other people don't know about and mm -hmm. it allows you to catch those fish. And, but it's, it's neat. And, and like probably, you know, like for Rob and some other guys that really love the big trout, it's one of those premier bragging rights fish. Most of my clients that come here to fish for big trout, they're a lot of them are guides themselves and other like Louisiana and Texas and stuff like that. And like all they live for are big trout. They're just like big trout, big trout, big trout when they catch one, they're so excited. It makes me excited. Yeah. Um, cause we kind of take it for granted, like permit, you know, like you would love to catch a 40 pound permit, but like, nah, but you get a guy that's like, that's his passion. And he just flew in from Australia to catch a 40 pound permit. And you do, it's like, it adds that element of excitement and trout does do that for people. Whereas redfish doesn't so much. Yeah. Yeah. That, but you know, for other people, uh, in a place that they don't have redfish, maybe, it, maybe it would. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, people, people get so excited. That's, that's the, the, uh, the best part about guiding, especially for like a, uh, something like that, like that big trout or a permit, permit on fly, particularly. I remember having this one guy and we went out and we, he caught a permit on fly and he was, it was like 10 o'clock in the morning and he was like, he could, he was shaking. He was so emotionally done that he was just like, 
let's just go in. It can't get any better than this. I'm like, I don't know, man. On a day like today, I think we could probably catch more. And he, it almost made his head explode that we could catch another one. And he was just like, no, no, let's just go in. I, this is the best ever. I I'm just, all we want to do is go in. And there's another th- situation where it's like, okay, if I had said, no, absolutely not. We are not going in. We're going to stay out here. That might've ruined it for him. But he was ready to go in. He wanted to go tell his wife that he had caught this fish. And so we're done fishing at 10 o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, man, what a waste. But he's like, this is the greatest thing ever. And, yeah. you know, you listen to your clients. So you're like, okay, you want to go in and it's going to be the greatest thing ever? We're going. Let's go. How fast do you want to go home? Um, but that's that's kind of uh, that's kind of funny with those big fish like that. People People are really into them. Um, you got a, uh, you got a record trout, right? Yeah. So, um, the current all tackle length record, um, was caught by one of my clients maybe about six years ago or so. And that was a special fish. Um, it was, it's the IGFA is doing that because we, we tend to have to, or accidentally kill a lot of fish with the weights. I've caught a few trout bigger than that. Um, but I was going to, I was going to ask if the, if the overall length, um, worked out to, um, the, the biggest trout that you had ever caught because, you know, in the redfish tournaments, it was a, it was a 27 inch fish, but you would catch some that were really long and you'd weigh them and they, they didn't weigh as much as a, a much short. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can get a long skinny one, you know, was that one, right. was that one a long skinny one or was it a legit giant fish? It was legit super fat and we had the option kind of to do one or the other, but in the IGFA rules, if you're going to do the length then it has to swim off and you video it. And like, you know how weak those big fish get. So we got some photos, measured it. And I was like, we didn't, we never weighed that fish and uh, we let it go. And it was exciting because I had some friends at the IGFA and they were really wanting to promote the, the length um, records. And so we went with that and I'm glad we did. Um, but I have caught, a, I don't know, maybe four or five fish bigger than that one, but he was, he was legitimate. I don't know. My, my gut estimate would have probably been about 15 pounds or so, um, where the world record 17. So I, I highly doubt we would have gotten that one, Wow! but, uh, but the biggest one trout, do you think, do you think there's a 20? I've got more than enough doubts of even 17. (laughs) You think maybe you're, you're approaching the, 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 the max at 15, 16. Yeah, there's been a few 15 pound fish caught and a few 14s. And like, I've, I've caught a lot of big fish. And, you know, I've got some friends that are trout gurus. And I don't know if it's maybe just fishing pressure or what it is, but like, I think that's it. I think 15 is about it. Mm-hmm. I don't, I would be very surprised to ever see a trout bigger than that. Yeah. Wow. Well, 15, how long would that fish be? 15 pounder? Um, so again, it goes back to like kind of what you're saying with the tournament. So the IGFA length records are open tail, innermost four. Yeah. Right. So like inch tail, that fish probably would have been another inch, inch and a half longer. Um, so I'm going to guess the 15 pounder is probably going to be in the 36, 37 inch range. What was the, what was the one that you got? How long was it? I want to say it was like 30, just under 35 inches, 34 and a half. They, they measure it in centimeters. I'm sorry. I don't know exactly. Yeah. dimensions but somewhere in there like just under 35 i think on the innermost port that's that's an awesome fish man that's 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 incredible i've never seen a trout anywhere close to that size they just, I, I mean maybe they grow that big in the keys i don't i don't know people don't catch them that big but people you know the keys the keys is a funny place like that for a fish like a trout because 
most of the best guides are not fishing for them with the intensity that you are. Like, what mm. if what if they did? I mean, could we find some big trout in in the keys? Probably, probably bigger than than where than what we're catching now. If that was some incentive, like there is a there is the Herman Lucerne. You you try to catch a big trout in that in that one, but to my right. knowledge, that's the only it's the only trout tournament that I know of that would reward a, a big fish. So that's something that happens. Like when you have those tournaments, I mean, like man, the learning curve goes up fast, really fast. When there's when you incentivize the the thirty best guides in an area with with money or whatever to go after x y or z whatever it is and all of a sudden whatever was kind of the standard is is going to change like that that is the fastest way to for everyone to learn a lot more about whatever it is whether it's you know trout or permit bonefish tarpon redfish snook all of those things like that that changes things when when you start going after them like that yeah, and it teaches you what's possible. So I'm sure after the I tournament, know. everyone's like, well, where did so-and-so catch this giant fish? Like, So then they know it's possible. They go and look for it, and they end up doing it. I know. And that was one of the things that I learned. One of the biggest things I learned right away in the when the first couple of red bones that I was ever in, I would just stand there and just stare at the – they used to have this giant scoreboard. It was huge. And they would have everybody's name on it, day one, what you caught, day two, what you caught, day three, what you caught – you're just looking at these people just like, wow, like either, <laughs> either I can't believe that guy caught nothing or right. look at what they caught. Like that is unbelievable. I, you know, I remember when Rick Murphy and, and Scott Deal and um, somebody else, uh, Mark Croca, they caught 65 redfish in the, in the red bone. And I was, I mean, man, I don't, at that point, I don't even know if I had seen 65 redfish and that was that was an eye opener. Like just yeah, whoa, that's yeah, a yeah, new yeah. bar. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then you start looking like, well, where did they catch them? Where's that school at? And then it opens up that whole new world. Yeah, it does. It does. And then you know, then you start talking. Like, did you see? Did you see those guys anywhere? Oh man, they blew past me at this one place. And you're like, okay, well, it's in that direction. <laughs> I'm, right. I'm 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 narrowing it down to where it was, but uh, everybody knew exactly where those guys were fishing. Though it was right in Snake Bite. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I do have a quick question for you. Yeah. If that's okay. So, like I've I've been watching you. There's a couple people that I think are really cool. Let's just use the word cool and in the fishing industry. And one was Jose Wahebe. And so like when I was woke up every Saturday morning and watched fishing on TV. Bass was okay, but I was a saltwater guy. So like there wasn't cool saltwater. It was kind of like, I don't know, I don't want to throw shade on anyone, but it was like, there was kind of like the older saltwater and then there was like cool bass and there was Jose Wahebe and then there was you and a couple other guys. But like, I really kind of like, it was like cutting edge. It was super cool. You guys were in the tournament show. I remember fishing the redfish tournaments and I'd see you guys fishing over there. Um, you and Rich and it was like, it was, it was really neat to, to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people that I used to look up to have kind of fallen away or gotten out of the industry or done other things. And, but you've always remained cutting edge and on top of things. And, and like one thing I'll remember is I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you fished for Oakley for a short period of time. Yeah. yeah. And I remember first, it was like a forest sports, it was like a forest sports magazine. And I, 
open it up and i think you want were you on we on like dude this is weird yeah. how like no no it's yeah full page ad they they had so, like, that stuff on we, like bus stops and on on buses we, and everything it was all over the place that was it and i'm like you know we've never met but like i still remember that i'm like that's cool because i was into surfing so i surfed a lot a lot of my friends are professional surfers their dads were big reps in the industry so like surfing was cool fishing was not fishing was smelly and dorky surfing <laughs> was cool so when i saw that oakley ad it's like fishing is cool right and jose's got the, these cool you know shimano reels on the beach and that's cool 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 so um with you, did you ever have like a goal that you were striving for? Or did you just kind of take it like block by block by block? Because you've always remained cool, in my opinion, because now you're really into, into like fitness and you're into you have the nicest boats and you have the, um, you know, cool gear and you're catching cool fish and your shows are really successful. You haven't just stuck with what the same thing you've done. Yeah. Do you, now, do you have long term goals or do you just kind of take it day by day? Well, I think there are definitely long-term goals, um, but the day-by-day day is it started out, I want to make a living as a fishing guide. And, um, you know, that started out in freshwater uh, as a fly fishing guide for trout in Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming. And I wanted to be a fishing guide. I didn't want to be a fishing guide for 120 days and the snowmobile guide for the rest. I wanted to be a fishing guide. And that led me to saltwater. And, um, I used to do both for a while and then it kind of led me to being in the keys full time, all the time and fishing all the time and learning how to make a living like that. And part of, part of all of that was, you know, very similar to your story. Like I am burning up my equipment. I am trashing everything that I own. I need some help here. I need some sponsorship. I need to understand how this works. Otherwise I'm not going to be able to do this anymore. So that's where the tournament started to come in. It's like, okay, I'm through people like Bob Bagby and a lot of the people that we've talked about on this conversation, uh, helped to be like, well, you are worth the size of your audience. That's something that Shaw Grigsby told me. And it's been, that has resonated with me just about every single day that, you know, if there's a secret to it, that's it. Like you are worth the size of your audience and you're doing a great job with that. Like your work with salt strong, you're, you are, you know, growing, you know, like for me, it was, it was magazines and, and TV shows. The magazines are irrelevant, uh, basically now. So like salt strong and the work that you're doing, that's today's magazine. Like that's a big audience and you're doing a great job there. So, um, you know, you are worth the size of your audience. And then, then that sponsorship comes when you can increase your audience to where it's bigger than most other people. And then, then the, the tournaments turned into the TV show and, and, you know, it's kind of like the passion was, I want to show people what it is that I'm doing out here that I think is so cool. And I can do it one at a time with, with a guide, <clears throat> with a, with a customer on the boat or with a television show, I can do it hundreds of thousands of people at a time. And let's see if we can parlay that into, uh, having people become more aware of conservation and, and maybe, you know, etiquette and whatever, like how, how can we use a big platform to help fishing, to help, uh, conservation, to, to do whatever. And then, 
you know, the, the, the longer term goal is, is to continue to do that because it's very easy to get it started. It's hard to keep it going. And, um, because, you know, it's very easy to tell people like what you're going to do and convince them that it's going to be the greatest thing ever. When in fact, that's, that's a pretty easy sale. I mean, you can, you can be pretty slick and you can sell that, but the hard thing is to keep it going year after year. So, um, I don't know that I, I ever wanted to be, um, you know, considered cool or to help fishing be cool or whatever. But I do think that I always kind of thought that you could, um, somehow transcend fishing to be, um, you know, to, to, to use fishing as, as a way to, to get that larger audience for, for whatever reason to, to, to then turn around and help fishing more because fishing is the most important thing for me. Like if, if, um, you know, you can raise water quality issues and, and raise awareness of water quality issues and, and actually really make a difference because you've built this audience around fishing or surfing or whatever it is, whatever your platform is, is there some way that you can use that for, for a greater good? And, um, that's kind of what the, what the long-term vision is, I guess. Um, but I don't know. I appreciate you saying that. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's been a lot of hard work and, um, it didn't come easy, uh, which I'm sure that your success hasn't either. I'm sure that it's been a lot of hard work. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's really neat and insightful. It's just neat that, I mean, just for you to know, you impacted my life and I'm sure you impact so many other people's lives. Well, that's, that's super cool, man. It's a, it's, it's a very humbling when someone, someone like yourself that we haven't met or whatever. And, and, and I hear that, that the show has had any sort of an impact on, on you at all. And, and, and hopefully a positive impact because it could have been the other way around. Like, I decided right away I didn't want to be a fishing guide. <laughs> right, right, right. But uh no, that's super cool. It's it's really cool. And and the show has been on for a long time and and um, you know, we just keep we just keep going along and doing the best job we can to entertain people and and to walk that line between entertaining people and also doing a great job for our sponsors, which is which is a hard thing. And that's where again it goes back to like who's the best at this? Bill Dance is the best at, at just that entertaining people and walking the, the fine line between selling products for his sponsors and entertaining and educating people. I don't think anybody's mm-hmm. better than that. I also think about bill dance a lot too, because like, <laughs> this is something that rich and I used to talk about a lot. It's like, well, we already did two tarpon shows this year. Should we do another one? The fish is pretty good. Like, should we do another one? And I remember both of us kind of came to this realization at the right time. It's like, Bill Dance has been fishing in the same pond for 30 years. Like if he can do that for 30 years, why can't we fil- film three tarpon shows? Like who says right. that we don't, I mean, and, and then we just kind of threw that out the window. It's like, how do we make the best show that we can make? Mm-hmm. And if that's the, you know, similar species to what we already had, you know, okay. I mean, but you can't push it. Like you're fishing a certain time of the year and there's going to be something that's happening there. So right. I, always, I always kind of am like, well, we caught them on bait. Now can we catch them a different way or can we do it a different way? Or can we fish in a different boat, which will apply, you know, appeals to a different audience? Like, is there a way that we could even do the, the almost exactly the same thing, but 
do it in a different way so we tell a different story? Or could we bring a guest today so that yeah, they've yeah. never seen this? And you keep it you keep it kind of interesting like that. But I look I look to Bill Dance a lot for that because he's I mean, really, he's he's fished a lot of the same places for the same fish over and over and over again. And uh, nobody seems to get tired of it. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Did you have, uh, I want to just ask one, a couple more questions here because we're about to be done. But did you ever have any kind of, a, um, kind of, I remember earlier in the conversation, you kind of alluded to the fact that, that you had had some big breakthroughs and, uh, do you, is there any one of those kind of come to mind of, of something that you might've learned? I would, I would always kind of explain it to people like, man, I learned this one thing and it opened up this whole door that opened up this whole universe that I didn't even know existed. And, you know, it was like, I didn't even know that those fish were around this time of the year. And I learned one little thing and it opened up, it unlocked this big secret for me. Do you have any, any uh, examples of that that you've done? Um, yeah, I mean, not to go back to big trout, but big trout was one of them because everybody, <clears throat> excuse me, that fishes in in this region up here, they see the big trout. You go on in your trolling motor and you see them, you know they're there and they're just, people just don't catch them. Um, and so a big breakthrough for me was a couple of things that I figured out to catch them and, you know, line management, you know, the fish feel the line and just little things like that that I would pick up on extra long casts, getting the bait out away from the boat. Um, and then you catch them and it's like, Oh wow. <laughs> and game changing. Like we never really caught a lot of these and now I can catch them whenever I want. Um, and it's not a secret cause everybody knows that they're there almost like finding the right fly pattern that the tarpon want to eat and nobody else figures it out. But then you can apply that to everything else. So by being good at big trout, it's time to be really good at catching big snook because it's virtually the same behavior. You know, they're picking up online, they're looking, they're seeing a quick little tip right now is like, this was like an aha moment for me. Fly fishermen, we always do it, but nobody does it in the bait world, but you use really thin. So I like to use braided line to make long casts. You use really thin um, fluorocarbon, like 10 feet of it, like let's say 10 pound test. And then I'll use a piece of like less than less than 12 inches, let's just say a 10 inch piece of 60 pound fluorocarbon. Well, guess what? Now you can catch those giant snook that you can look for because they're going to wear through the 10 pound test. And if you ran a straight piece of 60 for five feet, they're not going to eat it. I mean, it's as simple as that. Yeah. And so you know, that's your bite tip, but on your fly, how come bait fishermen and lure fishermen never did that? And that is like, that's a huge game changer. I mean, you can catch the spooky fish and, and, you, and you can land them now. And make the long cast because with that five foot leader, man, that's mm -hmm. cumbersome to to throw a, an accurate cast when all those knots are coming through the guides and everything, and it usually exactly. usually goes somewhere you don't want it to. Um, yeah, those uh, those little things that you learn those are those they they sometimes pay really big dividends and and sometimes I think about those days where you learned those lessons were like raining and you almost didn't go. And then you, you happened to cross something and that one day that you almost didn't go really almost defined the rest of your career. Like, wow, if I hadn't learned that, probably I would have, probably I would have run into it later, but <laughs> it was that one day that, that we really didn't want to go. Nothing. You didn't, you might not have even caught anything, but you learned something <laughs> and you're just like, whoa, 
That is big, like really there, big. There is there is actually one that comes to mind like that. That's like it's changed my whole world because the big show we caught the huge snook on with Bill Dance with Bob Bagby on the boat, and I figured out that what we did, and I can't share it. Bob Bagby will know if you ask him, but. Um, I figured that out with my mom. I was taking her fishing and there was no pressure or stress. And I was like, man, I'm looking at like, you know, 50 big snook, can't get them to eat. And I tried a couple of things and this one thing worked huh. and uh, got a giant ended up being in the newspaper. It was super cool, but it was like, it was that trip. If I didn't go on that trip, we probably wouldn't have caught those big snook that led to a career of filming with Bill Dance. Like how funny is that? You know? Yeah. That one trip with your mom. Yep. That doesn't seem like that doesn't seem like that would be that would be the key to unlock the 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 rest of your career, but you, you just never know, and uh, that's why you know I don't know. I think it's always better to go. You know, well, it's not always better to go. You know, w- because when we reflect on this conversation that we've had, you could get to the dock and have some people that really don't want to get wet and really don't want a rough boat ride, and it's much better just to say you know, what do you guys want to do? Put the ball in their court. And they say, eh, we'll try again next time. We, we come down here all the time. We, 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 there's no mm-hmm. need for us to go today. Or you could really push it and get them to go. I mean, it's a gamble sometimes because if you really push it and get them to go and they're like, oh, I had no idea it would be so calm behind these mangroves. And look, we're catching all these fish and you made a great day. This has been fantastic. Or right. they could be like, that was the roughest boat ride. I, I hate fishing. I'm never coming again. I don't know. That's where, that's where a good guide really needs to make that quick determination about the person and every person's different and every day is different. And somebody's back might be hurting that day. And on another day, it might not be. And you just gotta, you know, the best, the best guides are able to kind of figure that out pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, listen, man, this has been, this has been really great. And I would love to have you on again because I think we barely scratched the surface. I'd love to talk to you um, about some, you know, fishing, fishing related stuff, but I'd love to hear your story. It's really, it's really cool. And I want to thank you for, uh, for telling me about the the show, you watching the show. That's really cool. Yeah. No, thank you so much. It was, you know, it's an an honor and, you know, super fun and super cool to be on the show. And uh, I want to give a quick shout out real quick. One of my child friends, um, who I've learned to fish with. Um, he's a fishing guide for you now, Anthony Vargas. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, uh, didn't even get to Anthony. That's so it's like awesome. So many mutual people. Cause like, if you're good to people and kind to people, it, 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 they stay with you and, and the cream rises to the top. So like, honestly, we, we'd be 12 years old fishing under this dock. Um, we called redfish swims with redfish because we couldn't pull the redfish out. So we'd hook a redfish. So we're like 12 years old, hook a redfish. And then we'd have to jump in the water and swim through the pilings <laughs> to land, couldn't pull them out. And so like, I just have these fond memories of them. And like fast forward, he, I'm assuming he works for you. Yeah. And uh, he guides out of Hawks K there and um, on your boat. It's like a pretty small world. Yeah. Anthony is such a great guy. He is doing such a good job down there. And everyone, without exception, everyone that I send down there to go fishing with him has a wonderful time. And, and he has become an expert at what we're talking about, like reading the customer. And from Hawks K, you can go and catch so many different things. Really so many different things. He could go catch big tarpon at the bridge or he can go back and, and, and do the sea trout kind of Jack, you know, thing and just lots of action, keep the rod bent 
all day long. And mm -hmm. he just talks to these people and quickly determines, okay, this is what we're doing. And, and he's got so many um, options, you know, available to him. And he's really good at, at uh, so many different types of fishing, but he's really the best at, at handling the customer and just being just a good person to spend the day with. I mean, what a great guy he is. He's, he's so, awesome. Always smiling. Always so nice. Yeah. No, he's always smiling. He's always smiling and he's happy and, and uh, good, good on him, man. I, I'm glad to have him. He's a, uh, he's a good hand, but I'm, I'm glad to put that connection together too. Well, um, how does everybody uh, follow you and support what you're doing and maybe even go fishing with you or try to? Um, so you can follow me on Instagram, which is probably my favorite way. Cause I'll post fishing reports and stuff on there, which is C-A-P-T, like captain C-A-P-T, then my name, Peter Deeks. And then my website is peterdeeksoutdoors.com. Okay. And then what about your stuff that you do with salt strong? Because that's oh, yeah. probably some of your best information I would imagine is, is locked it, up in there. It is. If you're not already a member, it is the, it's the world's largest online fishing community, um, you know, right now with saltwater and it is growing and it is so cool. Some of the best captains are on there and we teach um, educational videos on how to do things. Uh, we rate products, you get discounts on products and it's a community. So you can share information with one another. So, you know, you don't want to give up your best spot, but if you're out there and you just, you have an aha moment, you can share that with your fellow members, your brothers and sisters, and they do the same for you. So it, it really helps you up your learning curve. You get to see the best gear products and reviews. And you get to see some cool fishing uh, footage and educational videos with, from captains like myself. So I can't recommend Salt Strong enough. And also a huge shout out to Joe Simons and Luke Simons, which is a whole other story how we met. But they are some of the most genuinely cool, awesome, nice guys, similar to Bill Dance, in that um, they, they don't have to try. They're just really good people. And, um, and they work for others. And so, like huge shout out to those brothers are really good people. Yeah. Very good. Very good people. And, uh, you've got your 24 yellowfin wrapped with salt strong, right? I do. I love the boat. Um, I love the wrap and, um, you know, go salt strong. Yeah. Uh, that 24 yellowfin, man, that's the most versatile boat on the water. It is. I just, I just put a call in for one of the 17. So I'm oh, hoping yeah. we can all that stuff. Are yeah. Cause get like the, the new one with the, with the V hole. Yeah, because the trout are, I think they're going to be super shallow here the next year, maybe two, because you had a colder winter. So it, it kind of reverts back to summer, not to make it a long story. But anyway, yeah, I think the, the the carbon fiber one with a really small motor, I'll be able to push the boat into where the fish are. And um, and I'm excited. Yeah, well, that'll be a great boat. I love fishing both of those boats. And uh, yeah, I'll be anxious to see uh, what you pull out because um, you got to get way back in there, I guess. And that yeah, yeah. low winter tides, that's the, that's the time to get back in there. How big a motor do you think you're going to put on it? Um, I'm not sure. Um, hundred percent, probably like a 60. Yeah. You think that'd work pretty Yeah, no, it runs good with a 60. We've had a number of them with sixties. And, uh, I, I think honestly, if you kept the boat really light and didn't, you know, had one customer in there, you'd probably get by with a 40, but I'm not sure what the okay. weight difference is between a 60 and a 40. It might not be, it might not be enough to make a difference, uh, or, or a real big difference, but, um, yeah, you're you're gonna you're gonna like it. It's gonna be it's gonna be great. Um, all right, Peter. Well, everybody, you should uh, definitely go check out what he's got going on. He's one of my favorite follows on Instagram. And um, and again, if you're into uh, learning about fishing, Salt Strong is a great uh, resource. And and uh, I know that Peter does a lot of stuff over there. So um, 
that's it for today. And Peter, we'll, uh, I'd love to do this again. We'll check in in a couple months and see what's up going on and maybe talk about some tarpon fishing or snook fishing in the springtime or how your trout was, or I don't know, we'll just catch up and, uh, and go over something else. But thanks so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. And, uh, for everybody else, we'll see you next week. 